Welcome to the Wilds Cast. Today, Rabbi Wilds speaks with Rabbi Daniel Katz. Daniel Katz is an internationally sought-after speaker and teacher, a former award-winning filmmaker and theater director in Australia. He's lived and studied in Jerusalem for the last 10 years. His famous classes in Jerusalem routinely drew overflow crowds eager to hear his unique combination of Musar self-development, Hasidus, and Kabbalah. Rabbi Katz's ability to present profound concepts from all areas of Torah in a concrete and meaningful way make him a favorite teacher among countless students. His mission is to reveal the unity among different paths of Torah in order to allow all Jews to experience its spiritual depth, beauty, and transformative power. Uh, I'm so excited to introduce our special guest, Rav Daniel Katz. Before I do that, I just want to mention that today is the first of a three-part series. We called it uh, October of Transcendence. Uh, Tonight, uh, this afternoon, or whenever you're listening to this, you'll be uh, dazzled by the pearls of wisdom of Rav Daniel Katz. Next week, please God, uh, Rabbi Chaim Miller, and the week after, Rabbi Dr. Jacob J. Schachter. And um, I am really, really humbled to have all of these incredibly accomplished rabbinic personalities. And we are starting on a high today uh, with Rav Daniel Katz, who is formerly an award-winning filmmaker, theater director from Australia. And he is now an internationally sought-after speaker on Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism, on meditation and Hasidic thought. Rabbi Katz is the founder of the Elevation Project, uh, a course on consciousness and meditation from a Torah perspective. I know, even though I haven't had the honor of of doing the course myself, I've walked in many times on my son Yosef when he's on his Zoom with Rav Katz and all of his many other students. And I've um, I know I'm supposed to sign up and pay, and well, I I want to admit just. I just want to come clean, Rav Daniel, that I, I did listen to some of the Torah here and there uh, coming from Yosef. Bring in the lawyers. Bring in the lawyers. <laughs> um, Rabbi Katz has become very popular for all the right reasons and has impacted thousands of his students. And his teachings are just illuminating and inspiring. And I, I want to thank you, Rabbi Katz. I know how busy you are, and I really just want to thank you for taking your time to uh to do this interview i'm super excited about it welcome it's a pleasure to be here the, the truth is all these podcasts are so weird and you're a person i'd like to hang out with and just have a coffee and chat together but we're so busy we never get to do that so a podcast is an excuse you and me to chat <laughs> I, about stuff frankly you know if anyone's watching or not you know okay whatever you know i i um those have been my best interviews where i just uh forgot that other people were listening in and just enjoyed the conversation so i'm hoping we can do that um, but I don't get you. We don't get you that often. So, so let's just start. Tell us a little about your background. I know that um, the life that you are leading today is not necessarily the life in which you were raised. What inspired you? Inspired you to pursue a life of Torah and mitzvot, and ultimately to become a rabbi and a teacher in Israel. Well, the the podcast um, brief version of that, the podcast safe version of that. I I was always a th- theater and and film actor and and director and writer and auteur as they say and my goal was to you know make films and get into film school and then go to america and and hollywood and be famous that was my goal i'd actually won awards for films i made in australia 
I directed a lot of theater. I was in television commercials. If you're in, a, find online the smart smart food, the I don't know, cheese flavored popcorn. It's kind of disgusting. When they launched <laughs> that in Australia, I was I was a smart food boy, quite a honor and a. Well, I got to see this. Wait, wait, can you t- can you tell me the name of the product? Because I definitely I I won't smart post food. it. I, I, I'm pretty sure it's not online, and if it is, I'm going to get my lawyers in for a second time in this meeting, okay. um, as if I had lawyers. Smart um, and it was like Australia. Okay. That's what I call it, it a past life in the same body. That was probably about 30 years ago. But in, in brief, you know, I was always a spiritually seeking individual. I was into, you know, everything but Judaism. I was into Buddhism and Hinduism and Sufism and all kind of isms. I never, ever thought for a second to look in. To Judaism, because that's just religious dogma and who likes that, right, Rabbi? So um, it was really a, a very deep spiritual experience that happened to me, a whole kind of spiritual awakening that happened when I was around 24. And that's a whole other discussion, but a very profound spiritual experiences happened one after another over a year. And that really kind of, and until then, my trajectory was actually, my films and my theater was very, spiritually focused it was about who are we as humanity and what is our journey and what is our destiny and what does it mean to question our reality and and all these kind of matrix themes um and but and i always imagined making films about spiritual waking and making films about people going on mystical experiences but i I kind of like didn't really take it seriously for myself not enough to like put my ego on, on hold and my hollywood journey on hold to really take that sojourn to enter into that kind of the darkness of the forest, the heart of darkness. You know, Joseph Campbell wrote, writes that we have to kind of leave our city and leave our town and journey to the heart of the forest to, to explore the unknown. And it's that place we discover the infinite ourselves or the higher knowledge, which we can then return to the city. So I didn't really want to go on that journey myself, but I really wanted to kind of sit at the edge of the forest in the director's chair. And when somebody came out from their journey, kind of buy the rights to their story and turn that into films. And then <laughs> and uh, at a moment of humility and at the big launch of a show that we had, which was very successful and all hundreds of people were coming through and they were asking me, you know, what are the answers to these deep questions? I was realizing, you know, I'm just, I, I would ask the question, but I don't really have answers. And I kind of realized as an artist that was insufficient. And then I had a year of, of tremendous kind of supernatural experiences happen, which really prompted me to kind of take my own personal journey more serious than the kind of, journey to Hollywood and the journey to success on, on that level. And that created a year of a pivot where I, you know, I was going to ashrams and doing a lot of things. And the short version of the story is, lo and behold, spoiler alert, I ended up in Jerusalem. I ended up learning here. Wait, and before, uh, before been, can, been here for the last I, 20 years. Yeah. Can I just jump in? You, you said that, so you were doing these films and you wanted to find out for yourself, but then you said you had a year of some spiritual, supernatural experiences which really i guess um helped close the deal for you was that it i mean, I mean certain it, things it, happen it, it, sorry for leading off stage um yeah. it begun the deal and closed the deal at the same time i i'd have i you know i, I was first at a the pasna meditation retreat very intense 10-day meditation retreat and that, that was the first time i kind of launched out of my body and was I'd learned about these things. The first time I was able to, you know, this idea of what's called the ego death or bitola yesh in, in Hasidic texts, mm-hmm. you know, when I kind of was able to just launch beyond myself and be at one with the universe and, and look down on all these things I identified in myself and my egos and my pains and realize, you know, that's the small me, but this is the infinite me. And, and be able to maintain that for a number of days and, and over the coming weeks as well. So, you know, that was the beginning of one awakening. But then... As 
as if as things twisted and turned and that took me on a path and I, I began to have even higher experiences than that that that's probably called out of body experiences that weren't even mm -hmm. triggered by meditation and again it, it's a long complex thing and you have to know each other a little better it was really just you and me otherwise I'd go into it a bit more <laughs> um, but it was it was really contacting with with higher souls and higher forces and being felt that I was I was literally told and literally guided for, for me the entrance point was Shabbat that as a Jew, I had to keep Shabbat and I was going to be shown how to keep that on a much deeper level. And I was given a gift of a very supernatural experience on Shabbos. And then I was told that I had to, I was guided in a very unusual way that's hard to talk about into a path. Once that opened up for me, then I began to really say, what is a reality that we live in where that higher states, those higher worlds, those higher knowings can exist but most of us aren't aware of them and I, I began to become very hungry for ancient wisdom that would just explain that phenomena wow. what where did yeah. i go and how did that happen and can i ever get back there and and i used to think religion was a joke i always thought spirituality was you know spiritual but not religious but then the truth is that it's religions that have embodied you know wisdom traditions from all parts of the world have embodied that kind of higher knowledge and when you look at what a prophet is prophet is not a religious term it, it was master meditators if you study kabbalah they were master meditators with very specific techniques that they would consciously access those places and worlds and then i become hungry for that experience and once mm -hmm. i was able to mm -hmm. learn about it then i wanted to teach that to other people so th that that's what ended up bringing me to jerusalem was trying to understand that phenomenon in my own life in the world you know to find to kind of sift through different traditions which i did to try and find out which one I felt had the most depth and insight and holistic understanding of these things. And, you know, this is what really took me to, to the walls of Jerusalem. And how much, if you don't mind me asking, how much was choosing Judaism? You said that you had dabbled in Buddhism and Sufism and Hinduism, and you were into spirituality, just not into religion. How much of um, finding judaism per se as a spiritual path was because you knew you were jewish even if you weren't raised observant you knew you were it didn't, jewish it didn't matter at all to me it didn't matter mm -hmm. at all to me that i was jewish there's one rebbitson that kept saying to me if you're exploring all the religions of the world because you're jewish you should explore in your backyard and i kept right. saying to her in my 21 22 I mean, as rabbis, you and I probably said that to a lot of people a lot of times. Right. And then, now I understand why it makes sense. But then I was just kind of like, you know, I, for me, it was literally saying when I was 22 years old, because I'm Australian, I have to find my ultimate path within Australia. Right. And, and right. the Australian within me, which is where I was from, I was just like, I wanted to get the heck out of Australia. I wanted to go and see the world. I wanted to go to Tibet. I wanted to go everywhere I could right, to South America. So why would I be trapped in Australia as a spiritual seeker? Why would no, I be trapped no, in, in no, Judaism, in, yeah, in filter fish, yeah. in, in Holocaust stories? You know, I felt that was very incredibly lim um, limiting mm -hmm. and, and, mm -hmm. and, and I wanted to break out of that. It happened to be that, which is really more profound to me, that the spiritual experiences themselves were pushing me back into that direction, literally with mitzvahs, as much as I was kicking and screaming, no, let me go anywhere else. Um, so that's just being guided in, in a deeper way that your that your limited understanding reality, you know, can't fathom, but it takes you back to where you need to come. And now I just say, thank God, you know, thank God that that I was able, I was given the gift of being guided because I don't think I would have had the wisdom or the, the foresight to be able to choose that for myself. 
Yeah, well, I, I mean, that's a, a more to me. First of all, thank you for sharing that um, and getting a little personal. To me, that's more inspiring than, well, I am Jewish, so I might as well look for it in my own backyard. That's not a compelling argument to a lot of my students right. who want to know why is Judaism more compelling than Buddhism? Why is Judaism more authentic of a spiritual practice than, um, you know, Hinduism or any of the other spiritual religious practices out there? So that is that's quite inspiring. Um, well, well, can we, can we have this go off the script and just compare notes together? Yeah. I, 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 as as a rabbi, and you know that means not as a job, but as a you know choosing to inspire people around the world and Jews with Jewish wisdom, right? So. I encourage Jews to explore their own background, own backyard background first. For myself, you know, 25 years later, I've now studied Kabbalah and Hasidus and Torah in depth. And I have much more sophisticated things to say on an intellectual level about, you know, what is the Buddhist approach to consciousness? What are its strengths and weaknesses? What's the Torah's strengths and weaknesses? What's the Hindu's? strength and weaknesses. So now I've done the inside work on comparative religion. Now I can argue intellectually <laughs> the value and uniqueness and properties of Torah. And I think intellectually, you know, that is clear and that is beautiful. It's just the, the, the approach that I took in was a, you know, a hyper intuitive, if you will, that I wasn't aware of that distinction. So now I think empirically you can, you can compare notes and give a good intellectual argument. Um, it, it's, it's always profound to me that when I teach seminars or retreats around the world, there's many, let's call them, I hate this word, I'm sure you do too, secular Jews that walk in the door and they have deep experiences. You teach them Jewish meditation and then they'll, they'll drop a line, which is such a profound line, which they will say as secular Jews, they had the reform bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, whatever they had. And then they went off wandering, looking for spirituality and they had profound experiences in India. And they had profound experience in ashrams. And then they walk into our retreat and you say, why are you here? And you say, because I always felt a need to discover this from my own tradition. And when mm -hmm. they say that, I go, mm -hmm. I totally get it as a rabbi. But as a seeker, it's like, I never had that. But it's right. deeply profound that many Jews do. And you can explain it culturally, but I, I think it goes deeper than culture. I think it goes deep into the depth of the programming of what it means to have a Jewish soul and what it means that, that we are, we're drawn like a magnet to some depth, even when everything else has fallen away of our tradition. There's something that calls many of us and calls many of us back. And it's, it's profound to see every single time. And you think therefore that there's something, there's something metaphysical, let's say, spiritual, authentically spiritual um, about the Jewish soul that's going to be attracted to Torah per se, as opposed to some other spiritual system. And not I think simply because I happen to, yeah. Yeah, no, no, and not simply because I happen to be culturally Jewish. I mean, you get what I'm asking. Yeah, I think we can explain it psychologically. When you're born up identifying as a Jew, like any culture in the world, you're born up identifying as Chinese, you're born up as identifying as African-American with that cultural background. So of course it's gonna be in your brain, it's gonna be in the, in the food that you eat and the cultural associations. But I think I've seen enough in my life that there's something deeper happening. There's a, a psycho-spiritual pull, which is deeper, deeper than cultural training. And sometimes to prove that, you have people that have had very bad Jewish experiences. You have many people that have had no Jewish experiences, and they still come knocking at, at the door, the proverbial door, hungry for that. And it hits them very, very deeply. 
And, you know, th this is a, a deep spiritual impulse, which is the core of the, the collective consciousness of the Jewish people. And I think psychologically, we are secular Jews. I could still consider myself that in some degree, knowing that thinking process, repulsed by the Jewish culture, but some way in a way that we can't explain, drawn in in a soul in a soul level of frequency, that there's something here, there's a code we're supposed to crack. And not all have it. But a profound amount of people do, and I think that's that's interesting. That is that's so fascinating because the most most of the Jewish world, we have spent so much time, energy, and resources emphasizing the cultural. That's what's going to keep people connected. You know, yeah, I'm saying, you're, yeah, and 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 what I just love the words you just use about the the, the frequency. There's a frequency that if we can tap into, people are going to see why there is something uniquely you know, distinct about Torah, about Judaism, as opposed to other systems. And I think that's very refreshing because um, I think the classic answer my most rabbis is, listen, you're Jewish, you need, you owe it to your, you owe it to your people, you owe it to yourself to look into your own heritage. They also have very nice systems. This is, but, and even if you don't like this as much, it doesn't resonate as much with you as some other system, but you're a Jew after all. What you're saying yeah, I think is that's no. a terrible answer. That's a sellout of an answer. <laughs> But buy my car. It's definitely worse. It's got much more mileage. All the doors are broken. But, you know, you're related to me, so you should settle for a worse car. I'm a spiritual right. seeker. Give me the best product. Give me the maximum impact, the maximum transformation. I and I honestly, I'll say to you, Rabbi, if we can't deliver that as Torah Jews, then we should shut up and sit down and let somebody else, you know, transform a person's life. And, and I, re I really feel like in Jewish outreach, however, I, I even as an ultra-Orthodox Jew living in an ultra-Orthodox community in Jerusalem, I don't find Jewish culture attractive. Neither, neither secular American Manishevitz kind of culture. Um, I, don't find the, I don't find the Orthodox culture attractive. I find the teachings profoundly deep in right. the wisdom and the transformational tools of Hasidus Kabbalah game-changing on an empirical comparative level to what else is on the spiritual market. And if we can't deliver on that level, then I think that's a deep failure. And I think that causes a lot of self-reflection. We've had the deepest wisdom in the game for the longest time, but we're the last to bring it to the table. I think it's a it's a consequence of exile. It's a consequence of post-Holocaust culture that we still identified with the culture and which is the externality of, of the beauty and depth of our, our tradition. But we don't know how to connect others or sometimes even ourselves to that primal core. And I think if we could, I think that would be a, a nuclear bomb of, of spiritual power to create awakening for Jews of all backgrounds. It would be a nuclear bomb of spiritual power to use your words. It really would be. And um, let me ask you this, you know, people listening are amazing students at MGE, 20s and 30s um, are interested in meditation, Jewish spirituality, but don't have this background. Um, where Where is a good place for them to start? I mean, I'll tell you what I've done. You know, I've been schooled more on the medieval Jewish rationalism. You know, I'm a poster child for Yeshiva University. We, you know, just <clears throat> ate that stuff up. And I always was convinced that that's what's going to turn on <clears throat> my less affiliated Jewish brothers and sisters. And to some degree it has. <clears throat> to some degree, I would say the last seven, eight years, personally, I've taken a, a deeper dive into, I've been studying a lot of Ramchal and Tanya, um, and listening to you and to some other great teachers, what is and a good how, way how to... How, wait, 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 wait. how was that yeah. approach from you? How did, how did each one move you in different ways? What? 
Well, they, they still, um, I, you know, I, I am infatuated with the teachings of Rav Salvechik, all of my Rebbeim were his students. Um, I never got to meet the Rav. My first year in YU, Yeshiva University, was his last year teaching, but I've been schooled on his philosophy. And I've done, a, I think, a pretty good job of packaging a lot of his Torah and a lot of his students' Torah in a way that will resonate with uh, with someone that uh, you know maybe just has a Hebrew day, uh, a Hebrew school education, you know, was graduated from Judaism at their bar bat mitzvah, and it, and it resonates with a lot of people, but it doesn't resonate with a whole other group of people. Um, the right. Kabbalah and Hasidut hit, you know, really hit a chord, strike a chord rather with a whole other group. What does it hit within you? What does it hit with you? Not as an educator, but as a, as a seeking soul yourself. Well, this is one of the questions did, I wanted did, to ask. Uh, and, does it and, fill and, something for you that yes. wasn't filled before? Yes, 100%. It fills something for me that wasn't that? filled before. Um, I've always been looking for um, a deeper, more experiential uh, understanding of the way mitzvot interact uh, the way mitzvot are supposed to, we're supposed to interact with mitzvot to achieve dveikut, to be able to really be closer and feel emotionally and metaphysically, according to the Torah, be closer to the Ribbon Shalom, to Hashem. And there's no question when I learn a great idea from the Rav or some other great Jew, you know, it does, but but the Tanya, the Tanya in particular has just been very, very moving for me. Um, the Ramchal I've been studying for many, many years, but it depends how deep you get into the Ramchal, of course. The Rabbeinu Moshe Chaim Lutzato I'm talking about. Um, you know, and it's um, it's definitely opening up something new within me, and it's making me more excited about my own Yiddishkeit, which in turn is making, hopefully making me a little more inspirational and relevant to my students. Um, but it doesn't resonate with everyone, because it's a whole new vocabulary. Um, it's It's a whole new vocabulary for me, and it's a new vocabulary for my students who have not been educated in Judaism at all. So it, it would seem sometimes to be the last place to start. Like I need to begin the ABCs and the ABCs are going to be a little more rational, you know, you know, and so on and so forth. But so, that doesn't so, resonate with everyone. So yeah. uh, we have, I, know, I know you've got all these wonderful questions. Can we have a discussion <laughs> on that? Because I would argue that it, you could, that is the ABCs. I would argue right. that's even more of the ABCs. And we're having a, a discussion as two different educators both mm -hmm. with informed opinions, right? So I, I find that the language of Jewish philosophy, is that a language of providence? Is it a language of Shabbat? Is it a language of what Matan Torah is? Is it a language of, of why do you know, good people suffer? You know, there's many languages in that, but, but there's, what is Hasidus at its core? Mm -hmm. The at its core was the Baal Shem Tov took all the secrets of reality of Kabbalah, the structure of reality, the physics of reality on the deepest level and all the Torah and mitzvahs. And he, he refracted that wisdom through the model of human consciousness. And really it is, and I don't mean to be overly reductionistic, really it's into a model of, of personal development and consciousness development, personal transformation and to be able to connect to the, the highest light and spiritual experiences within us and to experience that through all of reality. And I believe that is a more, so I'm going to take, you know, in the right corner, mm -hmm. uh, left corner, I, I believe that's a more for Jewish education, a more intuitively obvious beginning point 
because it begins by not saying there's a thing called Shabbos, there's a thing called Mezuzah, there's a thing called Tefillin, there's a thing called God, all externally. It begins by saying, let us understand your consciousness and your mastery and the duality within you. And let's show you how you can open up to higher experience, higher revelation, higher creativity, higher intuition, deeper meaning in your consciousness. And the Baal Shem Tov literally uses the technique which basically means if you can understand how your inner consciousness works and being that your inner world is an oilam cotton, a small universe of the greater whole, then through that you can explore what is your inner Shabbos, which is called Das. You know, what does it mean there's seven nations and seven mitas, you know? And what does it mean to Vakas to raise her consciousness? So I believe the missing piece in our tradition where Torah and mitzvahs can literally be dogma. A person can, you and I both know, keep all the mitzvahs and have no connection to with Hashem or themselves. What I believe is the missing piece in that is that we haven't learned to turn on our own deeper consciousness. And I believe if you give the language to that first, it's, it's a game changer which will give a person themselves and their divine connection first. And then Torah and mitzvahs after that has a much deeper meaning and context mm-hmm. and transformative mm-hmm. value. Yeah, so I, I guess if you're uh, listen, no, I don't, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I think, you know, I don't. It's boring because I don't. I was not schooled in that in that way of thinking. So it it would be impossible for an educator like myself or any of my colleagues, most of my colleagues, I would say, to really have that as the starting point because that wasn't our starting point it's not right, even right. it's not even where a lot of us are going i'm pretty unique i would say within the sort of the modern orthodox rabbinate to be delving into tanya and so and actually be teaching classes in this and so on and so forth didn't the rav learn tanya and the rav yes about it? I, he, I he did discussing it even no his don't want it from him and, and he wanted to give it over and it was so profound to him the the rav understood kabbalah um, did he teach it? I don't think so. There are some great, more recent books that um, have come out since his patira, since his passing, that um, emphasize um, that um, ecstasy, the spiritual ecstasy um, that that um, that he did speak about in Ubikashta Misham, which was an incredibly important work of his. Um, it, you could see it a little in Lonely Man of Faith, which I've been giving that book out to people for years. Um, and uh, you could see it like peppered here and there, but never really taught it and and didn't necessarily. He ordained over 2000 students at Yeshiva University. He taught them how to learn Lumdus, Gemara. That was his main focus. Now, he did deliver brilliant, over the top, brilliant lectures on Machshava, on philosophy and did um, uh, quote from the Zohar and, 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 and the Tanya, and you saw that he knew it and he understood it. But that wasn't his, like, task, which was, you know, to, to, to develop Hasidim, if you will, you know, or experts in Hasidic yeah. thought. So I'm, like, you know, grabbing it here, grabbing it there, and now I'm just going right to the, the books of Kabbalah. But I get why that's a logical place to start. Uh, the person in outreach that I know who does that is my my dear friend, and I would consider him a mentor as well, Rabbi David Aaron um, of Israelite, who spent at least 20 years uh, learning Kabbalah and trying to distill a lot of those ideas in a way that could be receptive to a similar audiences as ours, uh, Rabbi right. David Aaron, and he's going to be on the podcast as well. So, so I, I would argue, just, just interesting to see, I, I think he's done that 
beautifully profoundly like nobody else but i, I think he's he he still keeps it on a theoretical level mm -hmm. do you know what i mean like he, he doesn't literally show you right now how to enter into the vacancy he doesn't mm -hmm. literally show you right now how to transform right. your fear but he doesn't have to right? i think he's made an incredible contribution but i i still feel that that final level of you know it's, I don't know if we're up to Generation Y, Generation Z. We're starting back at AA, wherever we're up to. AA's probably got the wrong connotation. When, when I was coming religious, it was kind of Generation X. And I still think of all of us as Generation X. We're a generation of experience, primarily. And, right. you know, I, I would say the Rav will never work in Kirov, who you call the Rav, primarily just because he's too brilliant, right? As it, the, the ideas are so deep and so profound. Um, that it's, it's just not what the generation's holding by. But I think the generation understands experience. If you see the research into psychedelics and what's happening today, if you see what's happened in meditation, you know, that how people want experience and crave experience. So I think Torah has to drop to that level and simultaneously elevate to that level. And, 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 and that, that's what I think, whether you're religious yeah. or secular, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're black, white, any cliche, any background, this is a consciousness and our struggles of consciousness is, is what's the ultimate human unifier. And if we can impact there, if token come down to that level, I think that's the thing that everyone's most hungry from. And when you build a person's consciousness and show them how to access their life, I think then Makshava, the deeper wisdom becomes relevant. And then those mm -hmm. paths open up. Because when you give a so person themselves, then they're most open to then transcending themselves. Right. So you want to, uh, I mean, this is something Yosef has shared with me, your student, my son, um, about the uniqueness of your of your talks um, is the focus on experiential. So let me ask you this, a little more talkless for the people listening. So what's a good way to start besides, let's say, just signing up for the Elevation Project, which, yeah. by the way, which, by the way, is a great idea, and I, I completely endorse that. I don't, I don't get a commission or anything, um, but I think I don't get a commission. Uh, <laughs> I think it's really worthwhile. But what would be a good way to open the door to spirituality through Jewish mysticism, and and talk to a twenty-five-year-old Jew from that Reform background, or a fifty-four-year-old Orthodox Jew who's been yeshiva educated his whole life? How would, sure. maybe the, maybe the answer is different for those two people. I don't know. I, I think the answer is fundamentally the same, with slight different tweaks to sensitivities in the initial stage. First of all, like yeah, I'm, I have no agenda to sit here and promote elevation. Elevation was built because I don't think there's a better access point, right? That people can start at zero, but then get something very deep and experiential immediately. So I'm going to avoid giving that answer because I don't want to be here to self promote. But it was created for a reason. Number one. Number two is, first is the awareness. We just need to start with the awareness that that this kind of content, this kind of game-changing, transformative, brilliant level, personal transformation, higher supernatural spiritual experience is absolutely unequivocally, fundamentally part of the Torah tradition. It was there through the Hasidic path, through the Litvish path, through the Svartic path, the prophets themselves, no matter how much yekish or, or misnagdish you want to be, the prophets themselves were the master of the supernatural spiritual experience. All the classic works of our tradition were brought down with Ruach HaKodesh, divine revelation or prophecy. Prophecy is mapped out in many classic works as being able to do his Pashtas Agashmias, which is astral projection, leaving the body, even the classic book of Shulchan Aruch, 
of Jewish text, Jewish halakha, that's what it's called. And there were paths to transformational tools of overcoming trauma, of higher level spiritual experience, of inner consciousness mastery called becoming a baldas in Muslim, Kassidus, and Kabbalah, and Sephardi tradition, all the way through the Talmud, et cetera, et cetera. So th the first thing for anyone seeking this kind of wisdom in the world is to know that our tradition is rich rich of it beyond beyond belief and beyond words number one mm -hmm. um and therefore the uh, the average 25 year old secular jew who's interested in these things often doesn't know or doesn't believe that that is really a part of our tradition but not the same as in buddhism many times when i was been teaching about past life aggression or meditation or some techniques you know many intelligent secular Jews will say to me, yeah, but you just copied that from Buddhism, right? That was never really part of Judaism. <laughs> and like you can show them texts for hundreds or thousands of years and they just, they don't believe it. So, so first of all, you have to know that's there. Okay, then, then after that, the question is, what is your access point? But look, Hashem, thank God when, you know, 2021, 2022, whenever people hear this, there are many books out there you can pick up Arya Kaplan's incredible works, which are mm -hmm. both academic and, and just profound on an entry level to understand, just to read theoretically, intellectually, many sources discussing Buddha, um, meditation, many sources discussing how, how the plethora of sources that, that discuss that in depth in our tradition. So one is to read something like Arya Kaplan's work. And, and um, which, book, which, book, which book are you, Kaplan? Uh, Jewish Meditation? There's, there's a number of books called Jewish Meditation. It's the entry level. There's uh, Kabbalah for more advanced. There's uh, got some of these on the shelf behind me. Kabbalah and Meditation, the Bible and Meditation. There's all these kind of books mm -hmm. like that. Um, again, you can check out my classes online. There's, check, you know, go to Judaism, Hasidus, Kabbalah, Meditation, etc. There are mm -hmm. many access points. Again, without with no intent to self-promote, but part of it is it's very hard to get. In Jerusalem, I know many ultra-Orthodox rabbi and rabbis that talk about this, but they talk in Yiddish, they talk in Hebrew, they talk with their students, right? So what we wanted to do is create an access point that people can get access to that. And on a high level, I don't think people should be stupid, just be, should be considered stupid just because they don't speak Yiddish or Hebrew, right? They should be at a, we're a very intelligent generation in, in the areas of neuroscience, in the areas of you know, how sophisticated we are with, about consciousness and understanding of that. And, and I believe that we have to, Judaism has to be able to meet people willing to have conversations on that level with wisdom that's sophisticated enough with where they're used to as a launch point. So, so elevation is a profound point. There's tons of free classes online. Check out what we're doing. Check out Arya Kaplan's works. You know, David Aaron talks beautifully and sensitively um, mm -hmm. about, about ideas, about what really is God from the level of consciousness. Um, mm -hmm. And, and we, we have, you know, Hasidus is full of this to learn Tanya, find someone to teach you Tanya. The problem with Tanya, if I could say the problem with Tanya, not sound like a complete idiot, is it really is literally the first portion of Tanya is literally a book of Jewish meditation. The, the challenge is without getting too controversial, it's not taught as a book of meditation by people that know meditation. So even that can right. often sound right. like a, 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 a philosophical treatise on divine service without realizing. You know, the, the first six Chabad Rebbe's were literally just teaching meditation. Um, there's classic works by the Baal Shem Tov. One is called Savas Harivash, which is called the, the Last Testament of the Baal Shem Tov in English. If you can find a good translation... Um, there is, it, is, so. it, it is in English? There is it in English? There, there are translations in English. They're not <clears> often <throat> translations on consciousness. But it's, it's also literally, profoundly, um, 
you know, meditation techniques from beginning to end. He's talking about how to access high states of consciousness, how to maintain that, how to release pain or fear of doubt that blocks that, you know, how to practice maintaining that state, how to live with equanimity, that when thoughts of fears or doubts come to you, you kind of don't identify with them. You know, if you can find any classes, books in English by the, based on the Pia Zetsna Rebbe, um, you know, he talks about mindfulness in depth, word for word, you know, classes. The Ish Kodesh, yeah. The Ish Kodesh. Um, and he talks about watching the thoughts come up but not identifying with them, just witnessing with them, you know, thoughts or feelings or movements in the body and just letting them dissipate and then slowly allowing your mind to, to expand. So you have to find teachers and you have to find texts. But first you have to, have to know that it's there. And, and the distinction between a secular seeker and a, a religious seeker. So the irony is, and I'm sure you'll understand this, Rabbi, that it's actually easier for a secular Jew often to access things because they kind of have, how do we put this nicely? They kind of have less dogma or false perceptions that they have to work through. Mm -hmm. Often mm -hmm. when you start, there are certain spiritually seeking religious people that are just so open hearted that they, they see the truth when exposed to these teachings and they open up to it. But there's many times without going into all the horror stories where a person can know so much Talmud and they've been taught to read a book or interpretation the wrong way, that as much as you can show them the pages and show them the text, they, they just keep saying, you know, my, my rabbi never taught me this, or this must be the wrong understanding, it can't be true. Right. And they right. often have to kind of unravel false assumptions about the tradition yeah. to be able to re-access it in a more relevant way. So it's about finding for them books with the right scholars or about the right rabbis, which gives them an entry point in that they can feel comfortable enough to begin to see the Torah that they've learned in a whole new and truer, more accurate way. And that, okay, that's a excellent. bit more delicate. No, that's, that was really, really helpful. So, so um, your uh, Elevation Project, Arya Kaplan, some of David Aaron, the Piziatsna Rebbe. If anyone's interested listening to this, I'm thinking actually writing some of this up. I have a question yeah. that I'm going to be asking and I'm going to be asking your um, uh, Rabbi Chaim Miller, who you know, translated a lot of the Rebbe, yeah, the Babich Rebbe's teachings, and my mentor and teacher, Rabbi Jacob Schachter. I'm going to be asking him this question, and I, I really want to hear your answer. How does observing mitzvot, and I know this, you can go on for the next two hours on this, but there's a way of distilling. Um, how does observing mitzvot, how are they intended to connect us with Hashem? And if you could maybe give an example or two of a mitzvah and how they're designed to connect us, because I think getting you know back into your experiential um, into the in the world of you know I've always said Judaism is experiential. I called Manhattan Jewish experience that was purposeful. Okay, would. Um, yeah, yeah. My sister-in-law came up with the name, but I liked it because I wanted people to come to MGE and not learn about Judaism, but experience it. Now you're taking it to a whole other level. You're like, well, we're only still talking about it if we're not getting into consciousness and we're not getting into the, in, into Hasidus, which distilled all of that. I get it, but mitzvot were designed. I am under the impression, and I've been teaching this for 25 years, that mitzvot are there to make us feel, and actually, even if we're not feeling it, to actually make us be connected to Hashem. How do mitzvot do that, if you can give an example or two? Okay. The depth of the experience is entirely determined by the, the depth of consciousness of the person trying to access them. So 
I would say Judaism is experiential tradition, but what does that mean? So let's let's consider a, a sulam, a ladder working from the ground up, okay? Shabbos is experiential on a psychological, practical level. Why does Shabbos connect me with Hashem? Well, I literally turn off my phone, you know, like what happened to the whole world for six hours last night. I literally, <laughs> WhatsApp's not working, Facebook's not working. It's Hashem giving Shabbos to the world. Taste it and see. So when I put down my phone, and I, I don't buy and sell, and I have a meal with my family, and we spend 24 hours together, I walk in the park and I meditate, whatever. It's, I'm experiencing my family, myself, it's meaningful, right? If I'm with a crowd of Jews, we're playing guitar, we're singing Jewish songs, that's experiential. You know, when I put on tefillin and I think about what is the meaning of the, 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 the head tefillin, what is the meaning of the arm tefillin, when I sit around, my wife sits around with the daughters, we like, Shabbos candles and there's light in the house and we give a blessing to everybody. So, you know, when someone comes to the MJE for Shabbos meal, there's big tables and people are sharing ideas and speaking about their life with gratitude. That's all experiential. But I would say, if you forgive me, you don't even, there doesn't even need to be a God for that to be a value. They're valuable, good things to do, which add meaning and beauty and connection in life. But you could say that's a connection, number one. So number one, the two is, on the second level experience is there's a more traditional modern religious response. And I I controversially use the term modern, which means that Hashem gave the mitzvahs. And when we do a mitzvah, we are aligning our will, our will with the divine will. That means I want to go outside where whatever I want, show all my body to get attention. Because when people see how incredibly handsome I are, when I, I show my body, then you know people are drawn towards me and I feel happy. And Hashem says, no, there's a thing called modesty. And modesty basically means don't identify and get attention through your body, through your external self. But try and give, get attention and connection through covering the external so that we, people connect on a deeper level. I have to communicate the depth of who I am and build a deeper meaning. So when I go through life and I, I say, well, what does my external desire to do? But then I, I connect in a deeper level to my internal desire and I connect that to Hashem. That's the modern controversial statement here, not modern orthodox. That's the modeled orthodox approach, which may, not modern orthodox, but the orthodoxy in the modern era approach. That means when I'm doing the divine will, I'm connected to Hashem. When I'm putting on tefillin, Hashem asked me to put on tefillin, and therefore I'm putting on tefillin, and therefore on some level I'm connecting to the deeper meaning of value of that. That's what I think the Torah world has been doing recently as its main pattern. But there's something else called connection, and there's something else called experience. And that is, in any classic fundamental ancient Jewish source, the experience of connection to the divine is called devakas. And what that means is, for lack of a better word, it's a spiritual experience. That means when, imagine I put on tefillin and I felt I kind of left my body and accessing higher wisdom and higher consciousness. And suddenly I felt that move from the head all the way into my heart that was releasing fear and doubt and shifting me out. Imagine that Shabbos was more than time off right? More than putting down the phone, more than the beautiful family time. And I'm not taking away that, we're just adding to that. But I actually felt more connected to the infinite on a real-time experiential level as that happened. 
So there are many mitzvahs that are there to cause us to access higher parts of our consciousness and transform the lower part of our consciousness and transform the world. To do that, here's the rule number one. In any classic book, text of Jewish tradition, there's an idea that mitzvahs sriches kavana, which means the power, the transformative, energetic, you know, supernatural power of any mitzvah is determined by our state of consciousness going into it. That means you and I both know, Rabbi, we can keep Shabbos by rote, right? We light the candles, we go to shul, we remember the words, we come home, we yell at the kids, we get to bed, we get up, right? It's, for, for Shabbos can be three dinner parties and a couple of long naps, okay? But Shabbos, when you prepare for and get into the state of consciousness, prayer is literally people mumble all the way through words and they say, well, I'm doing the mitzvah, so I'm doing it. But if you read every classic work, including halacha, about prayer, the power of the prayer is entirely determined by the yeshiva das, the state of consciousness you get into when you clear your mind before prayer, when you bring light in. The Baal Shem Tov says, Rabbi, that you can't pray properly unless you close your eyes first and you see yourself as surrounded by light and divine light that's penetrating into you. And only when you're in that state, he says, then you can say the words. When you begin in a state of light and expanded consciousness, and then you do the mitzvah, suddenly you feel this rush of incredible energy, insight, and wisdom. So the connective transformational experiential power of prayer, or any mitzvah of Shabbos, of any mitzvah of giving siddhartha, of any mitzvah, comes from our ability to connect to the light first and then channel that light through the power of the mitzvah itself. When you pray like that, prayer is transform, transformational. When you keep Shabbos like that, and all the mystics went out for two or three hours before Shabbos and got into the state and then accepted Shabbos in that state, when you put a mezuzah in your house with that consciousness, that's when it really becomes a transformational, experiential um, activity of and, a and, true transcendent power. And thank you. And if you don't have the consciousness, you're not plugged in. You're going through the motions. Um, we do know right, halachically, that, you know, we paskin, actually, mitzvahs, ain't a kavana, maybe the exception right. of tefillah, that technically... Which is Bidi, which is Bidi Evid, right? Which means it's totally not the ideal. So it's not the ideal. Obviously, if you're, you're, your mind is somewhere else and you're praying, you're just mumbling the words. But, I mean, the Baal Tanya makes it, spends a lot of time on this, explaining the efficacy of just the rituals themselves, meaning that if you... There, there seems to be, at least from the Baal Tanya's perspective some sort of magic, if you will, to just reciting certain words and performing certain activities. So even if you're not consciously engaged, and even if you don't have that kavana and you don't have that consciousness, it still seems to be doing something. So I, I'm trying to drill down a little more. Clearly, if you have the consciousness, clearly, if you have that, that mindset, you're going to be taken to a whole other place. Can I, can I say what, something controversial? Yeah. This isn't controversial? We believe, and take for example, the, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, go out on the street and put a fill-in on everybody, even people right. that don't believe, even people that hate it, because what was his intent? Because that mitzvah, in all its externality, without any intent or deeper meaning, will awaken something, the power of their soul, number right. one. This is my controversial statement. I'm not disagreeing with that. It has a power. I'm not disagreeing with the fact that it has a value. But between you and me, Rabbi Wilds, with, with 
assimilation rates skyrocketing with the amount of Jews today that positively identify with Torah connection and value being the increasing minority. That approach is not enough to create an awakening in the generation and meaning and power that's sustainable for most. Of course, 100%. But, but, uh, but, that, that's, but a, that, that's a teaching that is strengthening those that have lost the power in the rush mm-hmm. of life and exile to connect and saying, I want you to know, even when you're tired and exhausted, <laughs> when you burn out, when you can do no more, I promise you that's having an effect. But when that becomes our overriding philosophy, right. no, we no, don't no, no, no. know how to connect on a deeper level, yeah then I believe we have a problem. Yeah, well, and we do have a problem. I agree with that. Um, and I was always very cynical growing up, seeing a Chabadnik out on the street putting tefillin on someone. I'm like, maybe this guy doesn't even believe in God. He's wrapping this leather on the guy's arm. What is he accomplishing? But then I study certain texts. Now, the Balatanya, and no one is trying to encourage, you know, mindless uh, religious practice. Right. Uh, obviously it's, but I, I'm trying to drill down on the mechanics. That's what I'm interested in. And um, I want to know how much of, of a connection we are forging with our creator, with Hashem, by performing the mitzvah, that the mitzvah itself has this power. Like, you know, they say about Yom Kippur, it's Yom, that there's something about the day itself, or is it? No, it's, it's the approach. Now the Balatanya uses the term wings, he says that you, you you're, when you do a mitzvah mindlessly, you're still doing the mitzvah, but it has, right? It has no wings, and it, it doesn't fly above to the world of right. Asira or to the world. Of right, Asira. it only stays in the in this in the world of action here. So, I get that. You know, um, I just think that the reason I'm interested in that and in, in, in trying to take this apart is not because I want to encourage anyone to uh, approach superficially you know, right. to, to a mitzvah superficially. Is I I want people to believe that there's something to these mitzvot. I've always believed it, never fully understood it. I've done a lot of research in Tameha mitzvot, Saja going to the Rambam, Kreskis, and so on and so forth. And this mitzvah does this mitzvah, that. <clears throat> but, you know, the medieval Jewish rationalists were largely symbolic. You know, it's not like right. you do this, it affects this sphere. Something changes. An angel is born, an angel is killed, it dies. You know, they don't talk in those terms. And that's why I've always felt that and you see this with Svardim, that sometimes like uh, Svardic Jews who come to MG as opposed to Ashkenazic Jews, because <clears throat> they're not as symbolically oriented. They weren't as exposed to the they enlightenment. They have a real neshama. They have a real soul, right? They, they, right they so they really feel like if you do this, that's going to happen. You know, but like an Ashkenazi, like us Ashkenazi white boys. We're like, yeah, we're like cynical. Dead. We're cynical. <laughs> we're like, come on, give me some rational idea that I can wrap my head around. And then, but here's the problem with the rational ideas. And I have uh, colleagues who I get into arguments with about this, but like, if you only believe it has power insofar as it's changing your mindset intellectually, but it's not changing you and it's not changing the cosmos and the world. And, and it's, you know what I'm saying? Like, so that's why I want to know about mitzvahs. What is let, happening? Let me mess with you. Let me mess with your vocabulary for a second. I don't believe that rational approach to Judaism is rational. <laughs> okay. okay. Imagine me saying, you know, there's not enough light in the room. Rabbi, could you just turn the light switch on? And I say, why is turn the light switch on? Because because that'll turn the light on. Say, so why don't you tell me why do I have to press the light switch? Well, because when you turn the light switch, it's symbolic of a choice because we're choosing between down and up. When you make an inner choice, you feel, do I want to go down and up? And you say, no, I'm choosing towards the light. And rather than going down into the darkness, 
that's symbolically, that's not a rational approach. That's an ignorant approach. By the way, your, your hand a, gestures were perfect also for those who right, right, I've been practicing that all afternoon for the podcast, <laughs> just for you, Ever. That, that's not a rational approach. When I read, read those rational sources, I, I, again, I'm not meaning to be attacking or just talking in a very core kind of primal mm -hmm. level. Mm -hmm. I find them deeply lacking. Think about quantum mechanics today, right? Think about, think about um, on, you know, the observer theory that, that the consciousness of the individual can actually affect, you know, a, a particle crashing the quantum wave. Think about all the idea of, 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 of superstring theory. So these are cause and effect in reality, which is not symbolic. It's right. actually it's not symbolic. It's, it's happening. It's, it's, it's real. a science. Yeah. It's a right. science of deeper subtlety, of awareness of things that we can't see with the eyes or the ears, but we can understand them theoretically. They're not symbolic. They're not rational explanations. They're understanding the truth of reality. When you turn on the light switch, there's a wire, and there's a thing called a circuit, and that has an effect. So when I hear the rationalists, I don't consider them rationalists. I consider them ignorant scientists, if you will. And I'm not, I'm not criticizing them as individual works. There's a thing that Kabbalah is called Chachmas Emes, which means the wisdom of truth. And I see Kabbalah is literally quantum mechanics. It's literally advanced physics. It's telling you this is not symbolism. Symbolism is not at all spiritually interesting to me. Right? I want to know, is, yeah. this con is this word having an effect? And what is the system? What are the fields? What are the energies? What is okay, the so mechanics let, so, that play? So let, let, me, let me jump in right here then. This is such yeah. an important conversation. The, and by the way, you are articulating one of the reasons for such a um, depleted um, energy lacking um, Avodah Hashem in, in, the, in, in the larger part. I'm just telling you, you're, you're, you're hitting, this is, because if you don't believe that something actually is happening and it's purely symbolic, you, you could just take that, you can finish a sentence yourself. And that's what happens. And unfortunately, that's what, the way a lot of us were raised in, 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 in terms of our Judaism and thinking. I, but, I, I, I don't want to cut, cut you off. Can I just say quickly, parenthetically, yeah. if I've been to India and blown out of my body with a spiritual experience, if I've had someone use their hands to energy, energetically heal me and clean me of cancer, if I've had supernatural experiences in my life and I've seen them all the paths of the world, why the heck should I come to Judaism to do symbolism right. when so I know there's, there's objective right. truths which are more right. real? So it's not interesting right. to me at that moment. It's not interesting, but the problem is with the um, I don't know. I don't want to. I can't use the word rational anymore because you you know you blew that we, one out of the water. So, um, but for someone who doesn't buy into these things because I can't see them, Rabbi, I can accept a symbolic explanation. But I can't see this stuff happening. Now, my response to you that is... You can't see quantum been, mechanics. You can't exactly. see Exactly. All right. So that I always say, I said, listen, can you hear, can you see yourself thinking right now? You can't see consciousness, but you know you what's happening. You can't see neuroscience, right? But right. it's a, you, you appreciate it's an intelligent, rigorous system of thought that it has its own language. And there's a cause and effect to it. If we understand that, then we can use that to shift a person's consciousness or mind through therapy. But the we difference is... Computers that operate on but, a different level. Right, but the, 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 the difference is, is even though you can't see quantum physics and you can't see these things, you can see the end-end result because engineers are actually using these things to, yeah. power, to power things. You can't see that in Judaism. That's the problem. What, what, now, uh, 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 one second, one second. Uh, well, you might where, feel something. One second, one second. You could feel something. You could feel something. But then you get into the whole, you get the whole issue. Well, a lot of people in other religions are feeling things too. 
And then it becomes the subjective whose feelings are more authentic than the other. In other words, well, I mean, tell me, how can you see it then? How can you see the cause and effect? Because I've been telling people, and I believe it, I do think there's a cause and effect. I think, and I think the effect is much greater when you have proper kavana, but I'm demonstrating that there's power in mitzvah by saying that something is happening even if you're not feeling it. But if, but I can't see it, Rabbi. I don't see it. I don't see the difference. I, I, I have to use my, my five senses. That's all I can use to perceive reality. And you're telling me to just believe that something's happening that I can't No, see. I never say believe. Believe is one of my least favorite words, as much as rational, uh, a rational approach is the least favorite word. First of all, I can joggle and say this is a proof of quantum mechanics. I don't know if this parable is going to work. The, the proof, I have to have an objective way to set, to set a test a double blind test. Here is the effect I assume will work. Here is my hypothesis of the test. Here is the observable outcome to see if I achieve the results. And if I did, that could be a proof of the hypothesis. It's called a scientific process. Give or take a few steps. Fine. Mm -hmm. So what is the proof of Kabbalah? So the proof of Kabbalah is it's like saying, what is the proof of energy? You know, what do you mean energy? You mean electricity? You mean magnetism? You mean gravity? What, what are we actually testing here, right? So we need to play a test. I could take a test in marriage. I can say you, and I do classes on this, you show me any marriage in the world that has issues, meaning all of us. I'm going to show you the Kabbalistic model of masculine and feminine. It's going to explain exactly what's happening in a relationship and exactly how to fix it, right? And if you show that, you put, we've done this, hundreds of people, we did this twice in New York, Hundreds of people in the audience, here's your relationships, they, they drop, their jaw hits the floor because Kabbalah maps out exactly the model of masculine and feminine energy, exactly the issues go wrong, and exactly how to align them. So I could show you that in the every relationships. Today, there's researchers doing studies, scientific researchers. I, I, went, I flew to San Diego to meet one of these guys. His name is Bill, Dr. Bill Benson, and he shows that hands-on healing can cure cancer and Doug did extensive tests with these mice that were injected with this terrible, um, I don't know, what a material that causes cancer. And they, mouse after mouse, they healed with cancer. They healed with hands-on healing, energetic healing. We have countless sources in the Torah that talk about hands-on healing. We have Moshe, Moses gave Yeshua smicha. He mm -hmm. put his hands on his head, gave him some of his consciousness and transformed it. From Tanakh, from Chassidus, from Lubala, from Svadim, they all use hands to bless and to physically heal, and they taught each other that tradition. And in, in Kabbalah, it discusses what do the hands represent, that their, their, their consciousness comes down through the hands. And today in science, in cutting-edge science, you begin to see how a person's consciousness can heal and affect another person's body. In meditation, I don't know, need you believe that you have a feeling. The litmus test of meditation being success is not that you have a positive feeling. You can have a positive feeling on lots of things. But to see that a person can overcome lifetime of trauma okay. and pain by accessing a certain state, which is mm -hmm. written in, te in, in Kabbalistic textbooks, shows you in that area it has an effect. So, okay, so the, the effect, question so is, what are we looking to test? Right. Now, and and so which I, field and yeah. how do we apply it? And how do we test that? And how do we validate right. that? So you're saying, and this is this is a very solid answer, thank you. You're saying the effect will be on the marriage if the couple is having issues and through a study of the Kabbalistic masculine versus feminine categories and all that, we can then help this couple break through with a problem. And it's based on this Kabbalah teaching, 
or let's say the other example you just gave is it predictive um, is it repeatable is it you know, yeah. all these all these points that we give to a scientific the healing the, he the healing someone with cancer through uh, energy and so on and so forth and you can demonstrate you can isolate the variable then then you have an effect and, and i think that would be i mean i don't think people have that perception of spiritual practices in general or kabbalah in particular I think it would be great. That would be an awesome book to read. To read, <laughs> to have. Of, of, <laughs> of, of, I would. I'd love to read it too. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, meaning of here are the following ten deep Kabbalah ideas embedded within Jewish tradition that um, had this that had this effect on these actual people in life because they did A, B, and C based on the writings of the Zohar and so on and so forth of Kabbalah. Now their marriage is better. Now they're healed. Empirical spirituality. That, that's what the yeah. generations are. Show me that's that it. this works. It's effective. What are the systems based on? You know, how Rabbi, does science? I'm telling you, Rabbi, that? that's that. Yeah, I know you have plenty of extra time, but that's your new book. No, I, I do have a whole book of this. Like, I've been no, but that's a great title. I'm not going to use it. You, you got intellectual well, property. What, what's the it. term? Empirical Judaism. Empirical spirituality. That's great. Or, Sold. Go get, go buy the URL. <laughs> I'm telling you, because people people are doubtful, they're skeptical, and even from people, even people raised in the Orthodox community have not been taught right. that there's a cause and effect to these mitzvot. The effect of these mitzvot are on the way you think, on it influences the way you behave, which is true, which is nice, but nothing changes in the world, in the Kabbalist, in the spheres. That, that, that there are these different words. That's why I love the That's why I love this the, because there's a system. And by the way, Rabbi Aaron also uses the word science a lot. Um, he doesn't really get into the particulars too much. You know, this mitzvah does this, this mitzvah does that. But he uses the analogy of they open up like an old transistor radio and you, you know, you look back and you see all these little different things. And you're like, I don't understand how this is kind of picking up on some sort of frequency. Uh, all I know is I, I turn it over and I open up, I put the volume and I can listen to the ball game. Okay, there but is, how's, right. that, how's that working? He says, well, there's a science to that, but nobody gets into that. And I think right. I, I think if we got into that, and because I've been making cases for mitzvahs my whole life, but it's always been Shabbos um, is going to allow, not just to turn off the technology, there's some deeper stuff, but it's but it's not a cause and effect spiritual effect on your soul right. connected to right. god it's vacuous you know and i just think the more right. i, I want to learn more about that because first of all i'm personally interested in that and um and and i think it it res i've seen it it resonates with my students let, let, let me I, there's so many examples I, I, it resonates with me and I, i'm also really excited about it because i think it's the future i'll, I'll give you another of a thousand examples but you know i have students around the world coming to me you teach meditation I've learned about the law of attraction, the power of manifesting. Is there any sources of that in Torah? And before I can say yes, like they say, well, I, I spoke to so many people. They said, no, it's a votazar, it's idol worship, it's, it doesn't belong. There's literally, I've personally seen countless sources, which I've collected, that they literally call it the koya chamoishech, the power of drawing to, to you. It's in the Zohar explicitly. It's in Kabbalah and Chassidus in depth. And Rebbe Nachman literally says you have to close your eyes. You have to separate from this world. You have to visually imagine in detail. He goes through word through word how it works. We talk in the Elevation online program, we talk about 20 students. We do a weekly webinar. And we did about six to eight weeks. It turned out about 40 days 
teaching them the course, teaching them the techniques, and just going through it. How's it the same and how's it different from the law of attraction as you know it? Going through reading all the classic texts in Judaism and practicing it. And everybody had to choose something at the end, at the, at the beginning. They had to be very specific about it. They had to say it out loud so they couldn't later on say it happened. And at, at the end of eight weeks, I can't remember the exact number, but over 80% of the group had it happen in a miraculous way to them. Now, we were, I was shocked. I was teaching the course. I was shocked at how real it was. But it is a reality. It's a real thing. It's called tefillah, done prayer, and done the right way. So this is something which is predicted. If you do this, if you enter the state of consciousness called the vacas, if you visualize it in this way, if you do it consistently for a period of time, then you can manifest it. And that's something empirical that we saw. If we can't deliver on that level, then we're left with rational Judaism, believing, parables, stories. I enjoy Shabbos because it's quality family time, which is beautiful and wonderful. I don't believe that's enough to inspire no, and sustain no. the next generation. No, it's not. That's it's the not. challenge. Wow. Um, this is amazing. Uh, I can't believe the hour is over already. This is You didn't this get to crazy. any of your questions. You I, I literally, I, I sent you 17 questions. <laughs> I think I got through really? three. <laughs> um, oh, sorry. Okay. You know, can I see so forget one? Forget about the um, audience. We'll continue in a cafe sometime. Yes, I'm here. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll continue. I mean, this was, this was unbelievable. I, I want to ask one. You just talked about the law of attraction here. Um, any any just quick insights? <laughs> um, you know, MG's twenties and thirties, so it's a big social mess. <laughs> okay, I, yes. I, I don't. <laughs> That's the technical term for your organization. No, 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 it's, no yeah. Well, we, Blee Einhar, we have three hundred and forty-four people who have met and married to the organization. I'm very, very proud of that. But I think relationships are getting more complicated, more difficult in the Orthodox community, outside of Orthodox community. I don't think it matters. Any um, insights into how I can um, guide my students to better navigate their their relationship building, whether they're seeking to meet someone and get married, or they're already in a marriage um, that you can, or it, it could just, it could be a book, it could be a certain lecture I'll, uh, of yours that I'll post if you want. Um, uh, you know, if this is too much of a you know uh, on one foot kind of question. Um, I just feel it would be great. I, I did put on, how did you propose to your wife and how did you know she was the one? I don't know if you want to fuse that with your answer or they're just two different things. Wow, you're just loading it up. Let's assume they're two different things for now. Um, okay. I'm focusing on the first one. I mean, this is one of the questions, there's, there's so much to say. It's the beginning of a podcast, not the end of the podcast. At, at the end of the day, there's a line that the Baal Shem Tov says, which is the, the whole world is a spiegel. Spiegel words, a, a mirror. Mm -hmm. um, and at the end of the day, most marriages fall apart is because a, a couple can live together for decades and still never see the other person, never know the other person. That The reason that people make bad decisions in choosing their partner is because they never once see the other person. They only see a projection of themselves back at themselves. And to the degree that you have ego, to the degree that you have fear of rejection, that you seek validation, that you want approval, that you want a trophy husband or wife, all the insecurities and desires and ego that we carry blinds us. Desire blinds our capacity to, to see the truth in the world and also in the other. The more 
we awaken to our own self-knowledge. Who am I really under my fear, my doubt, and my ego? One of the challenging things that I know from my 20s and 30s, and everyone that gets a little older realizes this, is, is these, these are sometimes lost years where we have so much energy and we have so many things. This is what I want to do, and this is my goal. This is what my wife's going to look like, my husband's going to look like, and this is the job I'm going to get, the car I'm going to get, the house I'm going to get. And, and it's only many years later sometimes we wake and go, who was that? Did I really want that? Who told me I should have that? Why did I think that relationship was a good idea? Why was I blind to this? Why did I turn on that person? That would have been a lot better. And the answer is because, because we don't really know ourselves yet. That there's many times, especially when we do retreats and seminars, people come in, you know, they want an appointment with me because, you know, rabbis, as you know, Rabbi Wai, we can answer everybody's questions all of the time because we're prophets, right? Uh, absolutely. So like more often than not, people come to you and they sit in front of you and they ask questions and like they've, try to get a point with you for months and you just sit there like, I don't, how am I going to help this person? I don't know. And what I've seen a thousand times is if you teach them to calm their minds and you teach them to access their inner lights, not over years, but in, in a few moments, then suddenly they have unbelievable clarity and insight about their own problems. And, and, and they, they suddenly, they're, they're in a relationship with they marry and not marry. They're, they're totally fantastic. And they go into that place. They go, wow, that person's totally wrong for me. I'm just doing it because I thought it's the kind of thing I want my parents wanted me to marry, but that's not who I want. So in any relationship with another, the relationship will only be as strong and healthy and stable as, as your own connection and awareness is of your deeper self. And, and that's always the goal. No matter anyone comes to me, I want to show them the tools to hack their own mind to recognize what is their fear, the voice of fear, recognize what is the voice of the ego, recognize what is the voice of the self-sabotaging behaviors, to make the, the con distinction and consciousness, what is my accurate intuition? What is my accurate wisdom? And to give them that gift. When people do that, not when they begin to see themselves, they begin to see the other. When you begin to see the other, it increases not just your calmness, your stillness, your perception, it increases your capacity to care, your capacity for compassion, your capacity mm -hmm. for connection. Every relationship has struggles and pains and everyone's triggering everyone the whole time. The, the goal of the relation, any relationship is to learn to get out of yourself and to see the beauty of another and the goodness of another. But you can't do that till you can learn to navigate through the noise of your own mind, to learn to have compassion in yourself and perceive yourself. So I believe every marriage will, is only saved with this point and any relationship before marriage that the sooner you can teach a couple or an individual to, to, to meditate, to find that space, the, the more empowered they are to make the richest, deepest, most profound decisions for themselves and for the other and to connect to others in a much more meaningful, true way and build relationships from that point. And, and, and yeah. that's what I think is the goal. So I haven't given you a book and I haven't given you a seminar, but for no. me, that's just so much the core. We, gotta get out of, get, we have to get out of ourselves. We have to get out of ourselves and not... <clears throat> Otherwise, everyone is just a projection of our own ego, right. essentially. That's the deal. And um, I mean, I mean, I don't have to tell you. I would just, just you know, I, all of Torah is really centered on this, on this point, on trying to get us out of ourselves so we can actually see the reality. Um, otherwise, we just see the whole world through our own issues. Um, wow, Rabbi, thank you so so much. We'll have to do a take two and get to the other. I don't know. 13 questions, <laughs> 15 questions, but it was truly a pleasure. So, looking so special. And I also want to just express my own personal um, gratitude to you for being such an 
incredible influence on my son and on uh, many of my other students. Um, I want to mention just for everyone who's listening that the Elevation Project is open for you to join. And um, some of the Rev. Daniel's classes, free lectures, and uh, they're out there. You can just how how can they access them? Just um, um, we we there's tons of classes on on YouTube. All free classes on SoundCloud, on Torah anytime. You'll just Google my mm-hmm. name, you'll find it. We have an official online program, which is uh, the website is elevationproject.com, but the online learning program is elevationmastery.com, and mm-hmm. uh, and you'll check it out. And your son's wonderful, and he's one of these. Souls which are yearning for deep experience and deep connection. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I think it's it's everything I teach is for a soul like his, and it's just yeah. thrilling to see him grow through that. So that's a beautiful thing. Well, you should have continued success and nachas from your work and just good things Amen. for you and your family, Blian Hara. And thank you so, Amen. so much for 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 coming on. It really means a lot to us. And um this was just amazing. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank really. you, Rafi. You should yeah. keep lighting up New York City and Manhattan until the <laughs> to all the lights out and you can bring them all home after that. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. Over and out, friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Wilds Cast. Subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you haven't already, please leave us a review in the Apple Podcast Store. It only takes a minute, and when you do it, it helps others discover the show. Music from today's episode comes courtesy of Yosef Wiles. For more information about the Manhattan Jewish Experience, please visit our website at jewishexperience.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for joining us.